describes acts of extreme violence in graphic detail and may include discussions about demonology and the occult, topics that caused widespread panic during the 1980s. This content may not be suitable for children under the age of 50. Viewer and listener discretion is advised. I'm James. And I'm Dan. And Dan, where are we from today, sir? Well, so the Grog Talk Tour continues. Today we are in the Tavern of the West Wind in Restonford. Ah, we're back in, I think we've been to Restonford, but I don't think we've been to this place. I think we were at the the Dying Minotaur the last time. So, um, and and here's here's a hint. Do you know what, well, I'll give you, a, actually, I'll give you a question. Do you know what, uh, I gave you this, do you know where this establishment uh, is from, what module it's from? Yes, if I, if I didn't know, this would be troubling, since you told me literally two minutes ago. <laughs> okay. Well, well there you and let's go. Make, I am the Jeopardy, cha- with the G, I am the Jeopardy champ, so I should get it. Uh, James, what is Bone Hill? I'm sorry, what is the secret of Bone Hill? That is, is correct, the secret of Bone Hill. And there is a clue, like something we're going to talk about later. There's an Easter egg, the reason I'm holding this up, and there may be some who know why we're holding it up. But the, this establishment is operated by two magic users, both of whom have, a, uh, both of whom have families. The tavern sells beer and hard liquor only. It has six rooms rent for rent at 12 silver pieces a night. And if you are rowdy here, they have a way to handle that. They will, they will, they actually put knockout drops into the drinks for a rowdy patron. This is, uh, last time, weren't we at an establishment where they would uh, drug you and sell you into slavery? That was, yep, that's, that's where the other place. But <laughs> again, is- I hate to say this, but could, is. I'm su- uh, it's also the drops are tasteless, and so there's only seven percent chance per level. Uh, the owners are Zelmar and Hacky. Have you noticed that many of the owners of establishments in D and D, they're not only tavern owners or inn owners, right? They're they're also magic users, illusionists, fighters. Is everybody? Uh, you know, I. Have have a profession like that too, yeah. doesn't it? Why is it not just some guy? They all have side hustles. It's maybe that's a that's a clue that perhaps you should not be in the adventuring business. It's so bad that they retire. That's my only guess. But yeah, why why can't it just be Bob, who's zero level? 
Don't you don't you think there'd be a lot of just retired first level characters out there that they went out on this adventure, right? And they're like, "Are you kidding me? This is horrible!" Yeah, like half like, the party dies. Right, like Glades was when she's <laughs> like, "I'm not doing this anymore. Are you kidding me? This is this is a disaster." It sounded good in the books. Yeah. It, sounded, it sounded exciting and heroic. Make lots of. Can you see the advertisements? Do you? It'd be like the army commercials, don't you think? Right. She was super excited. And then, you know, she got the thousand-eyed stare from the, the horror that was, that was adventuring. Um, I think you're right. No, well, actually, they should be zero level, like what happened to the uh, Touched, I think was the cleric's name, and the Paladin, which was not Hallmark Stealing Hearts, but it was something similar. You mean Touche? Was that Touche, the Paladin? Oh, Touche. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. I, I, I think there would be a lot of a lot of them running around. Yeah, people who well, uh, these two adventurers, they were drained to zero level uh, by a white, mm-hmm. uh, the moderate evil white, and they. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. They opened up a uh, what's that? A, a butcher, butcher shop. shop. That's right, a butcher mm-hmm. shop. They opened mm-hmm. a butcher shop because I think we said one of the NPCs that went with us was killed, and he ran the butcher shop. If I remember. Right. <laughs> I think people Josh, you know. Yeah, you know, I did a year of medical school or yeah, a year of law school, whatever. <laughs> That's right. Now I'm, I'm back to that. So I dropped out. Exactly. So we have I'm a, a dropout. I'm a AD and D dropout. <laughs> well, there's many, and that's why we're here. So um well good morning everyone. And you know, we forgot we are uh we're live with in front of a studio audience today. Say hello everyone. Everyone loves that. Yes, Grog Talk is taped. In front of a live studio audience. That's right. So that's it. Thank you. Thank you. I love how people say that this we're spending our patron money on this. Well, that just tells you how much patron money we have, which is not that much. But it's all gone. The four dollars. Wait, have you been embezzling? That's right. Don't, that's all we do got. You want to audit of the books? We have all these patrons, James. And you tell me we have four dollars. That's right. We always have four dollars. What's going on here? Yeah, we're going to be doing the show. It's be like the end of the Blues Brothers. We're we'll doing the show from jail. At the end. I want you, you, you. Exactly. So. Great move. Uh, it is a great movie. So, Dan, why don't you introduce our guest? Sure. So it is our pleasure to have Bill Willingham on the show. Uh, Bill, of course, has had an amazing career, a very long and successful career as a writer and artist of comics. Of course, all we're really interested in is one year of time, 1980 to 1981, when he was a staff artist at TSR. So welcome to the show, Bill. Well, thank you. I feel welcome. That's all you're interested in? Just one year of my life? We feel the need to warn you. We had Jody Lynn Nye, best-selling, you know, New York Times best-selling author on the show, fantasy author. Uh-huh. And the only reason we had her on the show, primarily, well, really, was because she she wrote, she typed the manuscripts up for the Monster Manual, the Dungeon Master's Guide, and the Player's Handbook. So I, we feel the need to warn you about our area of interest might be more narrow than you're used to. Within I mean, we did, you know, we spent like 30 seconds on the fact that she has thousands of fans when she goes to conventions. And she's a best-selling publisher, artist, uh, author, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, we went right back to what type of ink did the typewriter have or did she use a like a word processor that was really what we're and you know how how legible was gary's writing that kind of thing so oh we we, we may go okay there, so. all right well, and, and some of, some of our yeah. listeners have broader well, the, the, interest in us. sure um 
<laughs> well, you you did in fact peg the fact that I had only one interesting year in my life. I'm not sure that uh, eighty eighty one was it. Uh, but sure, if we can, we'll, we'll be the judge we can of that. Glean anything from it? Okay, you go ahead. I'll, that's what uh, we. I'll, that's I'll what I'll we do. Along. We're we're very good at this. We 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 know how to handle guests like this. So we we will get the interesting info out of you. So uh, alrighty, all right. Well, so maybe you could take it. So take us back. So um, the information I found is right that you had your. I think your dad was in the military, so you moved around a lot. And then you did a before you went to TSR, you you served in the army, if I understand correctly. Yeah. Yeah, uh, being raised uh, by well, my dad, who was, you know, uh, a lifer in the army. He actually uh, uh, spent a, a career in the army after um, uh, a first shift, three years in the navy, and switched because uh, uh, he did not like being at sea. Um, the old adage that. Uh, uh, being at sea is, uh, or in the Navy is a lot like being in prison, but with a chance of drowning. Uh, so he, he switched to the army, uh, more time on land and, and stayed in for a long time. Um, it was never, never a subject of de debate, uh, whether or not, uh, we, his, his offspring would also serve. Uh, there was, uh, a certain allowance made for what what uh, service you would go into, and, and uh, uh, I was briefly interested in the submarine service, but uh, talked myself out of it. So, so yeah, I I went into the army. Um, I did my my three years and uh, um, used the last part of that time to uh, apply. Uh, for an artist's position at TSR. Uh, I left the Army, got out, threw out my uniforms, uh, flew to Lake Geneva, and uh, started work. Okay, you're, you're going too fast for us. We got back up a bit. So you, um, how did you find out about the job? Were you like so many other people that you saw perhaps an ad in Dragon Magazine? I did see an ad in Dragon Magazine. We had a pretty uh, robust... D&D &D game going in the Army. Uh, for my first year there, stationed in Germany, um, we were uh, guards of an X area. An X area means exclusion area, and we weren't allowed to uh, mention that we were guarding nukes out in the middle of the German forest. Uh, we can mention it now because the nukes are gone, the, uh, the, the base is gone. Um, but uh, for most of that time, what, what that involved, um, well, a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, training about who might come and try and break into our ex-area. So we had to know a lot about the Bader-Meinhof gang. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, and we spent time running through woods pretending to be tracking down terrorists should they uh, uh, decide to assault us. But... Mostly the time was spent in towers looking out away from our base and watching the grass grow in the fields in front of our towers. Uh, and that's, that's a pretty boring 
way to spend 12 hours a day, 12 hours on, 12 hours off. Uh, and so because uh, we had we had radios to call in the, the actual stuff, like, you know, I'm being assaulted by, by multitudes of machine gun wearing hooligans. Uh, but uh, we had uh, landlines, phones connecting the towers just to talk with each other to keep us from being bored. Uh, and we pretty quickly found out that was a, a wonderful medium for since we were all hooked up talking to each other and had nothing to do anyway. Um, we played uh, a never-ending D&D game, uh, 12 hours a day. Um, and then usually when we got back to the barracks and were off duty, we got in someone's room and continued. Um, but uh, I worked in the front room that was the uh, uh, the place that decided who got in and out of the base uh, and I ran the communications uh, basically I was by default the, the uh, DM uh, since I could talk to everyone and they couldn't have dice out in the tower because that's a distraction uh, so we got all of these old fart sergeants that worked in the front room to be the dice rollers for them um, and they thought this was a, a really silly game and wanted very little to do with it until they started getting competitive and tried to, uh, these sergeants tried to recruit various people to let them be their dice roller because they roll uh, uh, more 20s than, uh, than you know, uh, Sergeant Odenkirk or whoever the, the hell, you know, it's just like, I'm a better dice roller. I've proved it. Uh, you got to come with me. Here. So, yeah, we ran these 12-hour uh, 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 D&D marathon games uh, for a year. Um, and uh, I got to tell you, we couldn't figure out all of these screeds in Dragon Magazines from Gary Gagax saying that, you know, I've been running my game for however many years and not one of my players is above seventh level. So there's no way you can be higher than this without uh, being in a Monty Hall uh, dungeon master. Uh, we couldn't figure it out. We were being very careful uh, not to be too generous, and yet all of our players were were going up much higher than that. We were not aware that when he said that they've been playing for years, that they played one night a week for a couple of hours, whereas we played every single day for 12 hours. And, and then, you know, a few more hours when we got off duty and and, uh, and occasionally took, um, you know, long weekends. We rented the uh, ruins of the Frankenstein Castle once to to play a game, uh, and you know, wow. slept in slept in our uh, sleeping bags and ate sea rations and uh, and and played D and D in the Frankenstein Castle for oh, three days. Yeah, three days. Well, so anyway, well, go ahead. Well, I didn't answer your question. Yeah, well, what were you running? So if you were the DM, because, you know, now yeah. what I appreciate so much now, when I try to run a game, the amount of effort it takes to prepare as the DM, were you were you making it up as you went? Were you running prepared modules? Were you writing your own? Because that's a lot of work. A little of uh, writing my own, a lot of seat of the pants uh, type stuff. Um, uh, they... I know that the the rules structured encounter random encounters and things like that and and uh, uh, if there was actual dungeoning below 
the the earth, the, uh, uh, we would in advance fill up the uh, the various rooms with whatever. But most of it was seat of the pants type stuff. Um, the the operative word was you know more an emphasis on the storytelling, less on on the randomness of it. Um, uh, so going into any particular session, uh, I pr pretty much knew what they were going to be encountering in what order uh, going into any given day. And, and are we talking about first edition? So what time frame are we talking about? Oh, yeah. This was in uh, 1977, late 77, early uh, uh, 78. Um, and, uh, so we were using the little pamphlets. We had one of the, the only sort of AD and D thing that had come out, or at least to our knowledge by then was the monster manual. We had one monster manual and we had all the little pamphlets. These had been passed around and, and, uh, used and abused, uh, long enough. We were missing pages. Uh, many of the rules that, uh, that I still use today are the ones we made up to fill in the, the spots we couldn't quite figure out. Um, it was only uh, years later after uh, joining TSR that I found out how the magic system really was supposed to work. We, we had to kind of create our own, um, which I think was better. Uh, but that's, that's probably pride of did, authorship. There. Did you tell Gary that? Did you go, hey, our, you know, this magic system, now that I've read it, this is garbage. This, this is high thing, garbage. This, ours is way better. No, no, I didn't. I, you know, I, I had at least enough social grace not to, uh, uh, when, when we went to work, everyone who, who gets hired gets one 30-minute session with Gary Gygax. It's kind of a welcome to the company, what's on your mind kind of thing. And uh, I was not going to use it to uh, uh, to criticize D and D, but I did want to clear up one thing, which is the the old like you know I'm certain that we were not Monty Hall uh, dungeon masters. Uh, therefore, I can't I can't uh, uh, um, reconcile that we had players up to about 20th level, and you said you can't even be. Uh, higher than seventh, uh, and I explained it's like, you know, every time we we did it, we strictly adhered to the rules of of experience and all that. And and uh, as I was explaining this, he began to realize that we were playing dawn to dusk, and sometimes longer round the clock D and D. But it was just a wonderful way to keep from going crazy. A lot of the uh, Fellow military police criticized, thought we were idiots for playing this game all the time, but they were bored out in these towers, going crazy, and every once in a while, you know, firing off rounds uh, from their rifle just uh, to try and feel something. Um, whereas we were, you know, uh, uh, well adjusted. I don't know if that's a term, but uh, that applies to D and D players. Anyway, Gary began to realize that. Uh, uh, how much D and D we played in that one packed year, uh, a little more than a year. Uh, and, uh, uh, at some point I interrupted him and said, you know, you guys may have played more D and D than any human beings in history. Um, which I thought was kind of cool. Uh, but that was the, the reconciliation, the fact that, uh, they played one night a week, uh, 
for maybe two or three hours. Um, and I felt good about that. Uh, I think I think if that was really the case, that record long since has been done away with because 40 years down the line, there's people that have kept games going uh, for all that time. Uh, and that's a lot of continuity. But for a, a brief shining moment, just like Camelot, uh, our our group was the uh, uh, the preeminent D and D players of human history, as uh, uh, as attested by Gary Gygax. Right. So it's there, officially approved by EGG that you are yeah. the ultimate awesome. Yeah, you may you may have played the most in the in this certain time span. That record sounds like sure. it may still hold. Uh, is it? I just have this image of of, of you guys all in these towers playing. And it just it's like Red Dawn. The Russians are just coming in, and you don't even see it, and they just take the base basically and leave. And but can you can you tell us a little bit about how you got into role playing games? So do you remember? We we love to hear about people's introduction to the game, their first experience, if they remember their first game, their first character. You know what, what was it like? Sure, uh, my first encounter with D and D was in college. Um, I was a fencer, uh, not meaning post holes and whatever, but you know, the tiny toy, toy swords. Um, and one of the deans, Royal Ewing, uh, was a, uh, a glider pilot, a, a soaring pilot. Um, and we had a deal where, uh, I was teaching him and his son to fence cause he loved that kind of stuff. And he was giving me soaring lessons, uh, with which is go up in a glider and then, and then try to try to land in a uh, a boat that has no motor, um, in some safe way. Uh, and in the process of, of doing that, exchanging uh, uh, barters, uh, teaching, um, he kept inviting me to to play this game over at his house called Dungeons and Dragons. And he didn't explain it well. He said, well, you're a group of people and you go down in these holes and the deeper you go, the the, the bigger things you encounter. And I, I don't understand it. But never, you know, this is college. In college, uh, uh, it was everything I could do to spend, uh, you know, my time actually studying or attempting to. Uh, so I never followed through. And then when I got into the Army, um, uh, one night coming off of the tower line, uh, my, my friend Mike Sinner invites me to this D&D game up in this uh, fellow Doc Beck's room. And uh, he explains, I go, that sounds familiar. I think someone else tried to explain that same thing to me, and it sounds absolutely stupid. But now I'm in the Army and I'm off duty, and there's nothing to do on this little post out in the middle of nowhere. Um, so, sure. I'll I'll give it a shot. And uh, yeah, we went to this guy's room. Uh, we rolled up characters, um, uh, played that night. Were you a magic user? We encountered a. I no, I I, I played a, a fighter. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, I I uh, came uh, into possession of a magic crossbow which I thought was the coolest thing ever invented. Um, it was magic in that it uh, self-loaded um, so that uh, you could fire like every turn 
and rather than I don't know how the, the crossbows, the real ones, you have to load or fire. You can't do it. anyway. So I thought that was the coolest thing available. And we fought kobolds and survived barely uh, our party. Um, and that so was just magnificent. <laughs> yeah, I was stuck. I was stuck from then on. It's like, yeah, we're going to do this uh, for a long time to come. And, and apparently, so Dragon Magazine makes its way to Germany, apparently. I don't know oh, how. Yeah, we, um, we someone had an old, old, like very early issue of Dragon Magazine, but it had the information on where to send for one. Or maybe, maybe it was uh, a catalog that had just the, the listing of everything that was currently available. But at some point I sent away for, uh, because we only had that one uh, set of booklets and, and such, I sent away for my own stuff and included a random issue. I was like, just give me whatever Dragon magazine is current. And they sent that to me. And uh, it was in that, uh, by this time I'd left, uh, my first station, the, the the towers in the woods, and gone to Bremerhaven, which was a white hat duty. That means you wear the white saucer caps and run around and arrest people for doing naughty things. And uh, there was a D&D group up there. But by that time, I'd finally got my own stuff um, and then included the, the magazine that had an ad in it for uh, an opening in the art department. And I spent some time working up a portfolio, sent it in, um, Got a letter back that said, "Okay, the the ad you responded to is an old one. Uh, apparently, they didn't send me the the most current issue. Uh, so that position's been filled, but another one's coming up uh, right at about the time you're getting out of the army. So uh, I was kind of half-assed offered the job there. What do you remember the portfolio that you sent in?" Yeah, it was just uh, a bunch of badly inked, uh, hand-drawn, you know, just generic characters. Uh, I did my thief, my fighter, my magic user, whatever, uh, sent them in. My inking ability was was not up to the uh, uh, quality of my penciling ability, which was not up to anything I would... uh, accused of being quality either. So, um, uh, so it wasn't very good, but I guess it was good enough to get, uh, their attention. Um, I'm not sure what happened to those. I'm not sure I ever got them back from David Sutherland, the, uh, the art director. So, so were you, cause I, I read online that your real interest was, I think even at that point was it was to do comics, if I understand yep. correctly. So was was, was TSR sort of, well, I'll do this to break into comics or because I wasn't expecting to hear as much gaming experience as you've just described, because now it sounds like it also there was, you know, yeah, it sounds like it'd be cool to work for TSR because I'm a Dungeons and Dragons fan. So was it one or the other or a bit of both? It was a bit of both. Part of it was uh, revenge. I wanted to be uh, in TSR uh, because of Ed Beck, I told you about, he was the guy that was initially running the game. And every time you got a, a group of uh, uh, early gamer uh, D&D players, there was one guy, there was always one guy 
In this case, it was Doc Ed Beck. He was a medic. But he insisted that he practically wrote the game with Gary. You know, he was an expert. In the, he was he was there hand in hand giving Gary all the good advice and et cetera like that. And and he would actually end arguments uh, within the, the context of the game, like we're saying, like, no, this is the rule, this is the rule. And he would he would slam his fist down because I'm playing with Gary. Um, and then when I transferred to Bremerhaven, there was another guy, I forget his name, but he was the same guy. It's like, yes, I practically wrote the game with Gary uh, back in the day before I uh, ended up here in Germany with you guys. Um, so... I was interested in working for TSR just so I could find out if Gary and Ed Beck were uh, lifelong friends, like he insisted. And uh, and of course, and this was in that same interview. And he says, uh, "Ed, who? Just I, I, I don't know." So uh, that was part of the motivation. I am exactly is that is that, that, is that, a, is that available? Maybe we'll, we'll get him on. Yeah, uh, we need to get Ed on the show we to collaborate. I have tried. I've tried to find him for many years, and, and so far, uh, not the case. Mike Sinner, the other uh, member of the Triumvirate, we ended up being rotating Dungeon Masters, me, Mike, and, and Ed. Um, he lives just down the road from me, and I've been in touch with him ever since the Army. But Ed has eluded me. Um, but, yeah, I am just just petty enough of a person to take on a job uh, – with the motivation of just proving that the guy was lying when he said, I played with Gary. Um, so, yeah, that was part of it. Uh, I realized I'd, I'd actually sent in samples uh, to Marvel Comics and gotten very polite letters uh, back that, you know, you aren't ready. Uh, so part of going with uh, the TSR department was to get ready, to learn to draw. The, the quality of the art in TSR products at the time was not as good as it is these days. And I thought, well, if, if these are the, if this is the status quo of art, I could fit in here and maybe, you know, you, you really learn to draw by drawing. So if I just, if I got paid to draw for a while, maybe my art would get better. And was it clear that you had a job or what was the status of things when you got this letter or were you kind of confused as to whether you were going to interview for it or you actually had it? Dave had a, an ability to to almost say something but not quite. Uh, uh, Dave Sutherland, the art director. I reread that uh, letter he sent me many times, and it was pretty clear he was offering me a job. Uh, he did want to have a follow-up exchange of letters, but I said by the time uh, I wrote back, by the time uh, uh, we can do this, since I was all the way in Germany, etc., um, I will actually be out of the Army and showing up at your doorstep, so let's have that follow-up conversation in person. Uh, but the letter made it fairly clear that uh, he was offering a job, but not not like absolute, not like come, come here, you got a job, we have your desk ready, uh, work for us. So I showed up. Um, I, uh, Wait, very I, when you say sure. you showed up, meaning have you yeah. moved there? Like, are you, are you just like f flying? I assume you moved back with your parents. Or are you just like in a hotel? No, I didn't. I, I left the army. They give you one plane flight 
home. <laughs> I at the airport cashed that ticket in for a smaller flight to uh, uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I flew there, uh, got on a bus, went to Lake Geneva, got off the bus, went to the nearest payphone, and called up uh, Dave at, uh, at TSR and said, I'm here. So you've got your suit, not- like you have two suitcases, you're like holding on to two suitcases? <laughs> yeah, actually, you know, one hand case in, a, in an old army duffel bag, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was me. And as a matter of fact, that was, uh, I didn't realize at the time I was calling from a payphone across the street from uh, the uh, the uh, downtown or the uh, uh, the hobby shop office, which was above the the downtown hobby shop. Uh, so I didn't realize he could see me out of his window. <laughs> and he said, "So let me describe you." And he just starts to describe. This is the shirt I'm wearing. These are the pants. Here's the duffel bag at my feet. Is that you? And I go, "Yeah." Little creeped out but yeah that's that's me and i i'm kind of like looking for the camera but uh yeah that's how it happened um before before even looking for a hotel i called up and said i'm here i'm ready to go to work awesome so i assume you're called up and you're meeting with dave sutherland uh yeah i went over to, to meet him he says okay this is great let's see your portfolio and i said i don't have my portfolio i shipped it through Army, you know, when you get out of the army, they they pack up all your stuff for you and ship it to you. Uh, I did not realize that sometimes that takes like six months for that stuff to arrive. So I go, well, my portfolio is somewhere in transit. Um, maybe it'll show. And and uh, he explained to me, well, this job is actually between you and one other guy. And uh, he he had a portfolio, and uh, he showed me this guy's stuff, and it was it was pretty slick. It was pretty well done. And I thought, well, that's it. I'm screwed. Uh, and he says, but I don't have to make a decision for a week. So why don't you, uh, he gave me a bunch of art supplies uh, and a little uh, lap board, drawing board. He said, take this back to your hotel room where he's staying. I go, well, at a hotel. Um, and uh, yeah, draw up. And he just wrote out a list of things for me to draw. Uh, come back in a week and then I'll make my decision. So I spent a week in, in, in uh, uh, a hotel room uh, just f- furiously drawing orcs and thieves and, uh, uh, you know, men in armor, etc. What was plan B? Well, plan B, uh, I suppose, was um, I did visit uh, the publishing office of Dragon Magazine, and I said— huh? Uh, I'm up for a art department job at TSR, uh, but I'm probably not going to get it. Uh, can I uh, draw some stuff for you? And they go, well, yeah, you can draw some stuff for us. Uh, um, in the meantime, you can even do that if you do get the job at TSR. I go, okay, I'll keep that in mind. Um, but, yeah, that was maybe a plan B. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, I... Uh, Probably would have uh, uh, stuck my thumb out and gone the rest of the way home. I'm not sure. Uh, who, I don't do a lot of Plan Bs. Nice. Well, do you do you know who who was the person you're up against? Do they they not get it? Um, and do you know who they were? I feel bad for that. Person. Oh, yeah. Um, 
I've forgotten his name. I used to know his name, and I used to follow his career because he was so mad at not getting it that I thought he was going to hunt me down and kill me. Um, as a matter of fact, the, the other people in the art department said, yeah, he is probably going to kill you someday because when the showdown came, uh, Dave Sutherland, for reasons uh, beyond my understanding, decided to do this right in the middle of the main art department room, which is the room where Errol Otis had his desk set up and Jim Rosloff had his desk set up. And then in the other room was Jeff D and, and uh, uh, Dave LaForce Diesel. Uh, but he called them all in to make this announcement while we stood there like two idiots. And, and it was like a beauty contest. And wow. he even did this pause. Ooh. He goes, and so the decision is, and then he pointed at me and said, you get the job. Um, and then this guy, he, he almost started to cry. Uh, and he said, well, can I see his, his work? And so Dave just handed him my, my work, the, the, these originals that I just spent uh, a year of my life in that room one week drawing. And he just ripped through them at this, this like you could hear the, the paper almost tearing as he ripped through each one looking at it and just kind of gasping and, uh, and trying to hold back tears. Um, and... Apparently, he took both portfolio samples and put it up to the rest of the uh, art department and said, which one's better? And everyone agreed that the, this other guy, he had a flicker finish to it, but the underdrawing wasn't quite there. It, it just, the anatomy, the the uh, uh, composition just wasn't there. Whereas mine was cruder, uh, but more structurally significant, which which boggles my mind if you look back at my old stuff. The, um, the, the structure and the, uh, the uh, capabilities just weren't there in my mind. But, but I, got the, uh, I got the job. That guy left in a huff or, or, or some other small sedan. And, uh, um, yeah, I kept track of him. He, he showed up. His name popped up here and there. Uh, this was back in the day now where where every small game publisher had its own um, magazine uh, uh, so his name kept popping up every once in a while as he went to do on uh, like small gaming things for this and that uh, but then I forgot about him eventually well well Bill we have a special surprise for you <laughs> that's right oh, yeah wouldn't that be cool I don't know why he wanted to kill you. He should want to kill Dave Sutherland. Dave well, Sutherland is the one that brings the right. two. What there. a ter yeah! What a HR. Uh, I mean, this is like an HR nightmare. It's like it this is like a cooking show or one of these, you know, you, or, or The Bachelor. It's like you got the rose. He was wow. ahead of his time. Sutherland right. was ahead of his time. Yeah, that was that, incredible. That is absolutely true. I'm not entirely sure TSR it had an HR department. Uh, at some point during the, the year I was there, but I don't think it was actually in place yet. Um, but yeah, Sutherland was allowed uh, car blanche, like you're the art director, you hire the artist, uh, and, he, and he picked me. Um, possibly influenced by the fact that I just got out of the Army as an MP, and he did two tours in Nam as an MP, and so there was a little bit of that old, you know, we, we 95 Bravos stick together. 
Well, you told uh, me but who knows? on Thursday. You told me a story about this, which I thought was interesting uh, about you when you when this was brought up. Um, that uh, it, you you thought that may have been an advantage, but then you know there's these tiers of service kind of thing. Right, right. Well, um, I just gotten out of the army, and this was uh, quite possibly the the first. Um, uh, three-year hitch in the army, uh, you could do following the Vietnam without worrying about possibly going to Vietnam. Uh, so he he asked me, he's like, "Oh, okay, so you served in Bremerhaven and and Misau and and uh, uh, what about Nam? Did you do that?" And I go, "Oh no, I just did one hitch. Uh, we were, uh, yeah, I never went to Nam." And he kind of went, "Oh, kind of just you can see the the." The I'm prepared to be your compadre kind of deflate from his voice as I admitted that I did not serve in Nam. He did twice, um, but uh, uh, he, he asked you that after yeah. after you'd been hired. No, no, this was during. Uh, I truncated it. We we spoke a couple of times um, uh, when. Uh, when I was doing the week of, of furious drawing, uh, I think one or two times during that week, I dropped by the office to either pick up more supplies or, or ask for uh, clarification on something or whatever. So, yeah, we, we talked a few times. So, and so after that guy's dispatched, and I think that is yes. the word here, after he's dispatched, are you, do you then just immediately begin work? Is there like a desk waiting for you? And they're like, yeah, you go here. Yeah, um, he the 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 art department at that time was on the second floor of the downtown office, which was this old decrepit building that was actually falling over. Uh, Len Lakovka's office uh, on the second floor, maybe it was the third floor, um, had the uh, floor pulling away from the outer wall. This was the wall that connected. Uh, the dungeon hobby shop to all the other buildings on the street. Uh, and we'd come and measure just how much further the, the floor had pulled away from the, the, uh, the connecting wall every morning to see how, how soon this, this building was about to fall over. But there was a long corridor uh, on the second floor. Um, there was Dave Sutherland's tiny office, which was... Uh, um, he he didn't feel like since he wasn't really drawing anymore, uh, he would just run things from there. Then there was a very big room, all all in a row along this hallway, very big room where where Rothloff and Errol Otis uh, drew, and then a, a smaller room where uh, the tables of, of Diesel and and Jeff D were set up, and then one more empty room. And they set me up a table in that room, and this was right at the head of the stairs. So it was me alone and the little basket of outgoing mail that needed to go to the, uh, uh, the main offices and the other end of town. Um, and so I was left alone in this one room. And it had doors that would close and things like that. And I was physically as far away from Dave Sutherland as can be. Um, but also since uh, in almost the entire time in the Army, uh, I was on night shifts. Um, uh, I was very used to 
being wide awake at night and being sound asleep during the day. So I had a lot of lot of trouble staying awake during those first few weeks at TSR uh, and would often just take naps right on my table. Um, <laughs> That's a good first trust- impression. <laughs> well, yeah, it was an old, old building so that no one was going to sneak up on you. If someone was coming up the stairs or coming down the hallway, I was going to hear it in plenty of time to wake up and look like I was working. Uh, and that's what I did for the first couple of weeks. I, I slept a lot. Uh, apparently, I was fast enough when I was awake to to look like I'd been working all along. And uh, I would occasionally also wake up when, when the other office sent this really, really cute girl over to collect the mail. Uh, she would pop into my room, and we would chat, and then she would take the mail and go. And... Uh, um, I was going to ask her out the first time I had, you know, a few paychecks in my pocket and, uh, and I could stay awake long enough to actually, you know, finish a, a coherent sentence. And, uh, that never happened. Uh, later on, uh, she got married to someone and I drew them a, uh, uh, a wedding gift thing, uh, met her at some con and, and I explained that, oh yeah. I had this crush on you because you collect them. Oh, you should have spoke up. I thought you were cute. (gasps) Why didn't you, you you just, you just need to get the nerve. What happened? Uh, you got on the sleeping. He had narcolepsy. It sounded like he had persistent narcolepsy. That's going to cause an issue. A little bit of that. Plus in the army, uh, this was at a time when the, the, the caliber person going into the army was not great. And I'd had a couple of years of college and, and uh, so at any any post I was at, I was always the most educated person there, including the sergeants and things like that. Um, when I when I ran the front room at uh, at the uh, the nuke site, uh, the job I was uh, doing could only be uh, staffed by a, a, a uh, E6 sergeant or above, but none of them could actually pass the test. Uh, so it was a lowly little private I was doing as a sergeant's duty there because anyway that was that was the caliber of education. So all the way through the ar- army, I was an arrogant uh, mofo, and I felt like a super genius. Yeah, not just a genius, but a super genius. Super genius, exactly. Nice. Exactly. Then there was this abrupt, um, you know, I get out of the army, and I get to TSR. Uh, most of us and. You know, they show you around and you meet everybody. Most of those people had college degrees and, and all this kind of stuff. And suddenly, uh, I was not the the automatically smartest person in the room. As a matter of fact, um, with that kind of cultural shock, uh, I felt like I was the dumbest person in any given room. Um, and I think that had a little uh, a little effect on my confidence. You know, I could. Um, I could smooth talk the ladies in, in, in Germany and such, but uh, but now I'm thinking, now nah, they'll see right through me that I'm a dummy. And so maybe that had something to do with it. Oh, well, especially that hazing, the way they hired you. I mean, it's, you know, literally everyone else is basically saying, all right. <laughs> She's going to gather people and pick. She's like, all right, right, three other people have asked me out this week. <laughs> come to come to my, you know, I'm going to come all together. I understand. Jeff, Jeff I which of these three? Would have exactly. had nothing but respect for that. If, uh, <laughs> if she'd done. Um, 
during those days, I was also uh, I got a reputation for you know uh, being there early, but that was like you know show up on time. Uh, but I would also be the last one to leave from the art department, and so they were thinking this guy's a go getter. He's he's gung ho, uh, but that was not the case. Uh, part of the questioning that went on when he was deciding whether or not to hire me or the other guy is he asked me a bunch of stuff about how, do you know how to do this? You know how to do key lining? Uh, do you know how to do four color work, et cetera, et cetera? And to which I said, of course, yes, uh, absolutely. I can do that. Had no idea what any of that stuff was, but I'd learned, learned by then when you're asked something, you say, yes. Uh, the old adage that, uh, you know, uh, Hollywood actors looking for a part, it's like say yes to anything they ask you. Like, can you ride a horse? You bet. And then, and then you go out and you get horse riding lessons to, right. to get that part. So I was saying yes because I knew it was between me and that other guy. He's, uh, I hope he doesn't listen to this interview. He is going to come after you now. You may want to yeah, call. Well, him, what, what was that show that where they you know? Uh, Jerry was it, no, it was not Jerry Springer. It was like one of the Adam Sandler where he he calls. And and he says, "Hey, I just want to apologize." And he says, "Okay, great." And he like scratches Bill Willingham's no- list of people I'm going to kill. It scratches <laughs> off Bill's because you apologized to him. <laughs> oh, thanks, Bill. That really yeah, that means may, a lot to me after all these years. That, that may be. I wouldn't wouldn't be surprised. Um, but uh, yeah. Anyway, I stayed late, make sure everyone had gone home, so that when the art department was all to myself. I could then break into uh, Dave Sutherland's office was locked, but it was a easy to break lock. The kind where you put the little ID card in and, and uh, scoot the door open. And then I would rifle through his office to try and figure out all those things that I claimed that I knew how to do. And I sort of eventually uh, figured out what key lining was, although I couldn't tell you now what it is to save my life. Uh, but four color work had me flummoxed. Uh, until um, he had a, a cork board on one of his offices, and he had some of the covers coming up. Um, and there was a sign on there saying, for color work. And so I'm looking at, at these things that are hung up, these painted covers. I go, well, I don't – what the hell, four color? I can see many more than four colors from, from those things. Uh, they were separations. And then one day I, I took some, one of them down off of the, the – uh, corkboard and separated the, the leaves of it. I realized, oh, four colors, like, because they separate full-colored stuff into the four basic blue, yellow, red, and black. Um, that's what four-color work was. And, and, and so what he was asking me was, can you paint? And he's like, yeah, I can paint. Um, so anyway, that's what I would do for a few, uh, a few nights. Uh, the first few weeks was just uh, break into his office and try and figure out all the stuff that I claimed I knew how to do. Um, and it paid off. Right. And, and do you remember your first project? My first project? Uh, no, I uh, vaguely, I, I would guess when you first start, you do maps. And I did really, really bad maps. Uh, and they took me off of that pretty quickly. Uh, Diesel did great maps, and as a result, he got kind of typecast to do most of the maps. Um, but the first things, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, what order, what came in, uh, you got me. 
Okay. Um, was there, uh, were you, was there camaraderie in the department? So, because you said you were in this office alone. It seems like that might make it hard for you to get integrated uh, with the other people. Did, uh, did, it, did it happen eventually? Uh, yeah. Uh, it, it happened, you know, the way those things do. The art department was pretty much a, a gang unto itself. And uh, uh, Jeff D. and Diesel, the guys in the room next to me, um, the first few times that they went to lunch, they invited me to go with them. And so we would clock out, go eat somewhere. Um, another thing that happened while I was in the Army for three years is the whole uh, video game uh, thing exploded. Uh, when I went into the Army, it was Pong. That was it. Uh, when I went out, it was all kinds of stuff like asteroids and, and Popeye and the Anyway, we went to some restaurant. We got to a table, and as soon as we were seated, both of those got up as if they were like, you know, shocked out of their seats, signaled in some way, and said, okay, let's go. And they took off from the table. And I wasn't sure what the hell just happened here. They, they just, we just got seated. I'm sitting here alone like a doofus, and they took off. And then, then, uh, uh, they come back at some point and said, has she come and taken our order yet? Like, did she come yet? Uh, finally asked her, what the hell are you guys going away? Because a couple of days in a row they do this. And it turns out that in my absence, every one of these restaurants got a little uh, foyer with video games in it. Like if you had a bar or a restaurant or whatever, you had video games now. And they yeah. went to go play video games until it was time to, to order or whatever. And uh, I didn't. I didn't understand that. I didn't uh, uh, grok that that was what we do now. Uh, but yeah, you know, we slowly build up. Come. Um, oh, sure. So, uh, so maybe let's probably shift into obviously the work that you did, and we're talking 1980. If, if I if I've got my dates correct, right? 1980 is when you start, and you're there through 81. Correct. Yes. Yes, I got there. I think in August of 80. And left at about probably around August of eighty one, so okay. one one good year. And 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 you know the 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 work that you did there is is very well known. You know, obviously a lot of work on on the modules. Ha there it is. Yep, Bone Hill. James is holding up. Yep, uh, L one there. The secret of Bone Hill. How would you? Yeah, so that was that was the first painting I got approved. Uh, uh, we would paint these things and then they would go to Gary and Gary would either accept or, or reject or call for changes. Uh, someone told me after I'd gotten many paintings, not approved, not approved, not, not approved. Um, someone said, uh, put a lot of red in your paintings. Gary likes red and he'll approve it. So I put her entirely in red and he approved it. So there you go. <laughs> I interrupted you and I apologize. No, no, no not awesome. at all. Um, and so, um, how would you describe? So, how would you describe the art that you were doing? Because it was very interesting for me to learn that you then went into comics. You got to understand, you know, this is I'm a, I'm a first edition kind of guy, so a lot of this stuff is new to me. What what you've done since then is is it fair to describe the work that you were doing as more in that sort of already that comic book style versus the style of the other artists? Uh, it was very intentionally a comic book style. Uh, had I to do it over again, I would uh, try for a, a, a more 
classically illustrative style. Uh, um, but I was under some bad, you know, uh, it is true, as had been said, I think Dave Lafour, uh, Dave Sutherland pointed out that when I showed up, I already had one foot out the door to go do comics. And I made no secret of that. And Jeff D., who was also vastly into comics, uh, we formed a clique. And I, you know, for a while, because his, his art was so terrific, I, I just wanted to be Jeff D. Uh, and I couldn't do that. Uh, but I did spend uh, a lot of effort coming up with uh, comic samples for uh, 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 Marvel and DC during that time rather than working on what I should have been working on. And I think and I think I read online that you had pushed, didn't you guys push for there to be a D&D comic? And, but it kind of died at Dragon. It got sent over to Dragon, and it kind of died at Dragon, but then you ended up doing it, I think, for somebody else? Um, we, we came up with an idea, Jeff and I, we pitched Gary on doing uh, D&D comics, and... Uh, Actually, a, a small comics line, one official D&D book, one based on uh, Traveler, which was uh, the new science fiction game coming out then. Uh, there might have been a Metamorphosis Odyssey pitched in there, too. But anyway, published comic books. And he said, that's very interesting. I don't know anything about comic books. I'm turning it over to the guy. He was... He was ostensibly the he wasn't the uh, the editor in chief of the Dragon Magazine, but he was the guy that that coordinated Dragon Magazine with the Home Office and all that kind of a whatever the executive just above that is. He said he's going to look into it and see if it's viable. And he was kind of a dick, and I know he didn't lift a finger to look into it. But a week later, he says, "Yeah, it's just not economically viable." Mm. Um, Later on, of course, uh, the D&D line of books that was licensed to, um, was it just DC or did Marvel have it for a while? But for a long time, people published D&D books, and it was very viable, uh, it turned out. Um, that was different than doing the D&D ads in the back of Marvel Comics, which was done through the ad department, not, uh, not any of the publishing departments. Yeah, that's what Leroy, one of our people, asked. You were going to talk about the comic ads that you did. Um, how did that come to be? And did that scratch your itch for doing that kind of work? Or, Well, sure. Um, uh, what happened, we were in the, the office one day just doing our stuff. And the first uh, ad in the back of a Marvel comic came out and someone dropped it around the art department. It was passed around and it was the very first ad done by someone who's uh, uh, more of an ad illustrator person, not a comic person. So, And it looked it. And it got as far as Jeff D. Uh, and Jeff D. just just got mad. I mean, just just as mad as, as, as I've ever seen him be. Like, like how dare they? Uh, not only was it not a great comic ad? It's like they should have known he was a great comic artist. How come they did not come to him first? And he demanded that I come into to the room. And we looked at it and they go, yeah, it's not so bad. I mean, and he goes, no, this is terrible, terrible, terrible. And he goes, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. And he, he, uh, 
shot up from his table, uh, bellowed to Dave in the uh, in his little office that he's going to lunch early, clocked out and just disappeared. And we found out after the fact that he drove over to the the main office where the ad department is and just tore them a new one, hmm. just line by line by line everything that's with this comic book ad. It's like it's not a great ad. It's not great comic books, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, the guy that ran the art department, uh, ad department, uh, who is a a just a, a Decent fine fellow, I eventually found out. But he was a suit. He was a suit and tie kind of a guy. And he just apparently politely listened and go, oh, I didn't realize that. Oh, I didn't know that. He was a very even keel kind of fellow. Um, and said in response, well, we're going to do these for a while, so why don't you do them from now on? And so Jeff D. came back and said, I'm doing the ads now. And he did one. And uh, then got bored with it one ad in and said, Bill, you do the ads from now on. Oh. And uh, and that's how I ended up doing the ads. So that's like Dan and me. Dan comes up with the idea, mm-hmm. and then he gets bored with it, and then I have to keep doing it. Right. Uh, that's, that's, like uh, his that's, podcast, like, like right. the show. Yeah, yeah I, I basically carry it after. He's like, <laughs> he comes up. Uh, someone asked, is that Keenan Powell who did the first artist? Do you know the first comic ad? Uh, I'm willing to say possibly, um, I, every once in a while I look up his or her name and, and, uh, uh, you know, I keep it in my mind for about five minutes before it's replaced by, you know, oh, look, there's a goose in the lawn. So, you know, <laughs> squirrel, exactly. Yeah. 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 So, so um, I guess my, my thing to that, so you, um, you know, I always ask folks at this time, because now 1980, you know, D&D's been around for a while, um, but it's still, you know, the basic set really is in a lot of ways that and that whole thing takes off. And you're, you know, you have one of the most iconic starts with Earl on the cover, then you're the inside. Those the two pictures are so evocative. Did you sure. did you realize at the time or when did you realize the art that you were doing was going to be, I don't know, known 40 years from now. Obviously, you wouldn't know that at that age, but that it was transcending just doing a job, that it was going to be legendary. When did I realize that? Yeah. Did uh, you know at the time, or did that check, come many check years from now? with me this time next year. Maybe I'll realize it then. <laughs> I, I, look, this is... I was a kid doing the best he could. Uh, there, right. There's no transcendence involved. Uh, there was a hierarchy. Uh, I see one of the questions here. Um... You worked your way up uh, to answer one of your first questions. I think my very first actual drawing job was some of the illustrations in the Fiend folio because okay. that's what was being drawn then. Uh, these things are illustrated by what's next on the ticket and, uh, uh, okay, when you're available for drawing, whatever we're working on, just pick. And there you just picked one of the monsters with room in the layout to draw and go, Oh, okay. I'll draw that. Um, go to the shadow demon page there. If you can find it, uh, it was a very basic drawing, uh, not very good. Uh, but the one cool thing about it is that was adopted to be the henchman of the main villain in 
in the cartoon. In the D&D animated series, yeah. Right. Um, I, uh, I got so much extra money because of that. Um, I'm lying. They didn't pay me any, anything. It's like say. no credit, no, <laughs> no whatever. Um, no, but there was a hierarchy. Uh, I started out illustrating Spot Illo's Inside Adventures Inside the Fiend Folio. Then you work your way up. Um, if, if you make it to the next level, you can be allowed to do the, the front interior illustration, the front piece, which is like a, a prestige. Uh, one more bump and you can do a back color piece for the module and one more bump and you can do a, uh, a front color piece for any given module. And, and that's kind of the way it works. And I eventually worked my way through some of that stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the, the one front piece with the, the party fighting the dragon, uh, I remember doing it. It was fun to do, um, but either, uh, uh, Jeff Ward or Frank Menser might've been Jeff Ward. No, it was Menser. He was coming to the art department as I was drawing this and he said, uh, <clears throat> there's no spell like that. I had the, I had the wizard firing off a spell that had kind of a, a hawk eagle kind of head at the front of it. So there's no spell like that. I go, sure there is. He goes, no, you, you point to me one, one spell that, that looks like that as it's going off. And I go, well, all these spells, they, they don't say what the actual effect looks like, so it's anything I want. He goes, yeah, no, that's not how this works. If it doesn't say it looks like something, you can't do that. And I go, what about illusion? Goes, what? And I go, yeah, illusion spells. That is anything you want, right? Yeah, well, that's what that is. Um, that, was my, that was my justification. Uh, I lawyered him out of the office. But, awesome. Uh, yeah, that was that was fun to do, and and uh, every once in a while, someone takes that illustration and colors it up and puts it online, and it always looks kind of pleasant to me. I'm I'm not entirely embarrassed by it when it uh, shows up. Why did you say that you wish, in retrospect, you hadn't done it in a lot of that artwork in a more cartoon style? Because it's you know it. it it, it certainly, you know, is distinctive in terms of you. I mean, you, you can tell whose artwork is whose. So I, why, why would you not want to have done that? Because I couldn't draw then. Yeah. I mean, uh, I could, uh, like, like a, a monkey getting shot into space that learns, you know, how to punch certain buttons in certain order. I could, I could uh, vaguely hold a, a pencil like a stick in my paw and, and make marks on a paper. But, uh, uh, but my ability to draw then, uh, compared to now, uh, is, is night and day. I mean, uh, uh, if I could, if I could go back in time and absorb the, the lessons learned from any artist or illustrator, I would, I would probably try then to be, uh, like what Mark Schultz is capable of doing now, a comic artist, but with a very illustrative style, a very adventurous. Um, it's not anti-comic work. Uh, comic art, I don't think, is any more uh, a specific style, except for you need to be able to tell a story. Uh, but it's um, uh, it's a quality of illustration. Uh, and the old illustrative masters were, were perfect at this, even better than, than comic artists, because they had to tell 
tell uh, an entire story, often with a single illustration, and they were just great at it. Um, so, yeah, I would want to be more like them. But we're talking about, you know, it was authentic work. At the time, I was drawing as well as I was able, and today I draw as well as I'm able. And uh, uh, you can't really ask for, for more than that. Um, should I have been had that crude early drawing published? That's for me. I would vote no. I was not ready yet. For for others, that's that's up to them. Well, I will tell you. I think the world would be a poor place if we didn't have Lightning Sword Girl from page one hundred one of the Fiend Folio, a personal favorite of mine. Oh yeah. Which apparently was one of your earlier ones, then probably since it was for Fiend Folio. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So what? So what were you proud of? So so you're you're, you're obviously quite humble. But what? what um, so you mentioned some of the things that that you know you said you're quote not totally embarrassed. But so looking back on it, which ones do you remember fondly that you did? Because you obviously did what I've got here. You did the against the giants, then the color cover. Um, we already mentioned Secret of Bone Hill. You did a bunch of interior. Oh, you did the the back cover for the Dungeons of the Slave Lords. You did interior for Wipe the Mountain, Slave Pits of the Undercity, Ghost Tower, of course, the Fiend Folio, Descent to the Depths of the Earth. Uh, which ones do you remember fondly? Well, it's, it's kind of uh, any artist, I think, is, is schizophrenic. You look back at the old stuff, and there's fond memories associated with doing that. Um, at the same time, you look back at your old stuff, and that means includes something I did yesterday. And you look back, and all you can see are the mistakes, the things you wish you'd done better. Hold on, I'm going to cough. <coughs> Excuse me. So you look at the, the things you wish you'd done better. All that kind of stuff, I, I, there's that one side of me that said, yes, I'm magnificent. I drew that. I got published. Uh, and the other side that says, oh, my God, look at Look at that curve there. This there, you could have could have done that so much better. Uh, it's both. It's it's both. It's simultaneous. Um, they they uh, exist together. Uh, and you, apparently, you you left Easter eggs, so to speak, in some of your drawings. Right? I saw online that apparently you'd put some Marvel Easter eggs in. Oh yeah, yeah. So I how very much that wanted to be an, uh, a comic artist. So. Yeah, that one drow chest that had Captain America's shield in it and Iron Man's helmet and things like that. And then and then Jeff D started doing one of his uh, one of my favorite uh, uh, drawings of his shows a thief opening a chest and there's Magneto's helmet in there. Um, I don't uh, Easter eggs. I guess we didn't call them that then. It's just like I was putting them in because I was signaling to anyone who's paying attention that this is what I wanted to be doing. Drawing comics. Free bill. It's a free bill kind of uh, uh, steganography. I'm trapped. I'm trapped. Encrypted, in, encrypted in the artist. There's this free bill. This is not uh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, can you tell us about? Uh, so, uh, we mentioned this before you right before you came on. So, I saw online that uh, you were maybe the first or one of the first to take a look at uh, Palace of the Silver Princess by Gene. So, so you play, we, uh, the story, of course, has been told many times with many different versions uh, about Gene Wells' uh, module, which, of course, was, I think, quickly uh, withdrawn and, and, and rewritten. And then, I guess, 
buried somewhere uh, in the area. Uh, you played you played a role in that, or at least you were there when it happened, correct? Sure. When these uh, assignments come up, uh, everyone works on whatever project is is current. Um, that's why you have a bunch of illustrators in every module, that kind of thing. Uh, I finished whatever it is I was working on, went to Dave and said, okay, what's next? And he goes, um, the new module, Palace of the Silver Princess, is next. Um, since you're the first artist to uh, work on that, uh, you've got the job of reading it uh, to see what and then making notes as what should be illustrated and what possibilities, et cetera, et cetera. So I took the manuscript back to my room and read it, and it was um, it was odd uh, to be kindly. So this uh, this, was before, this was before the artwork was because the artwork yes. becomes controversial. Okay, gotcha. Uh, the text of this kind of stuff was all. You know, you go into this room and this um, this hauntingly lovely sorceress or whatever has captured you, or there's someone being held up. There's a woman upside down being whipped and tortured, but when you get closer, it's an illusion. It's some kind of monster. But the the, the through line of this whole story was uh, this evil sorceress, hauntingly, hauntingly beautiful Catherine de Miss, um, which stuck in my memory because Miss uh, um, Wells was a uh, member of the uh, Society for Creative Anachronism, and that was her character's name in that. So right away I'm saying, oh, my God, we've got, we've got someone's sex fantasy being played out in a module here. And Jean uh, <laughs> was allowed to write a module because she played Mahjong with Gary his wife and a, and a group, and so Gary's wife said, you got to let Gene write something, you got to let Gene write something. And uh, anyway, I read this, and I went to Dave and said, we've got some potential problems here. This thing is, um, uh, well, it's terrible. Um, and I pointed out, <laughs> indicating why. Says you. And uh, so Dave takes it upstairs to Lawrence Schick's office and he was the 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 boss of the of the uh, creative satellite there downtown and Lawrence takes it to the front office and Gary and that and says oh there's some definite problems with this and apparently Gary got pissed and said look you got to get off my back this I'm doing this because my wife will not get off my back until she writes the things, you just illustrate the thing and, and print it up because, you know, God damn it, just quit, quit bothering me with this nonsense. Uh, so Lawrence came back very chagrined and said, well, the orders are we just shut up and soldier. Um, we illustrate it, we go on. So we started to illustrate it, and uh, um, it was in the middle of that uh, that I uh, quit TSR in a huff. Uh, so it came out after I'd left, uh, it came out, it was printed. There were, you know, the standard 20,000 or what have you of these printed up. And that's when someone at the front office actually took a look at it and threatened to fire everyone in our office because how come you didn't warn us 
what a piece of pornography this is. Um, and of course they said, well, we did, we tried to, and you told us to shut up and just do it. Um, so they buried the entire print run uh, in a landfill uh, just just off of the uh, the the uh, main office. Um, Lawrence Schick snuck a uh, case of them off before they got buried and had, um, in the years following, uh, sold the original Palace of the Silver Princess for for good money at different shows. But then they rewrote it, redrew it reprinted it um and uh yeah it was it was a big scandal and even the redone one was was iffy in my opinion but uh uh the the original uh like it's it's not it's it's not a wonderful thing were, were you still there for the illustrations that were done? Because those, of course, are quite famous too, right? The Errol Otis uh, illustration, with, with whether it was. I saw or some of not. them being made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. and they were uh, they were pretty racist. Uh, they were illustrating what was there. So, oh, people was got there, mad. Was there an intent? I mean, we had Errol Otis on the show, and I'm trying to remember what he said about this. But if, if I, James, and you help me out here too, I think if I recall correctly. Did he tell us that there was a little bit of a, that the art department was not thrilled with yeah, the fact? Yeah, it was like subversion. It was almost subversion. It was, and, and gleeful subversion because it was, you know, like you said, it was this kind of doing nonsense. And it didn't sound like it took much for Earl to take advantage of that, you know, because we've seen some of his other work. So it was kind of a win-win for him. Uh, stick it to the man and have, have fun with it. So I don't know if others he, felt that. He was very much that guy. It's like, oh, you're going to make me do this? This is what you want? Well, I'll give you what you want. You know, <laughs> yes, I can, I can very much see that being his attitude. We tried to, I think I, I did my best cross-examination. Didn't I just try to pin him down on an admission that he was, that the, who those people were, trying to find out who those people were, right? That one was Gary, supposed to be right. Gary. But I, I don't know. I can't remember. I'd have to go back and listen as he, to whether he, he, he... He provided plausible deniability. That's what he said. <laughs> he should have never quite... <laughs> Said yes. He's kind of. He's a little bit. He sounds like Dave Sutherland, uh, right? He, he never quite said yeah. So, so, but who who decided which? So that scene, right? That famous. Hang on, I have it written somewhere here, right? What you've got the the illusion of the decapus, right? Um, and then you've got Errol's. Uh, who? But somebody had to decide what was going to be drawn, right? I mean, so who decided? You didn't. It didn't have to be. I assume the illusion of the decapitus, which I think is the scene that you're talking about. It, it might have been me. The, the way we work is whoever reads it makes notes on what would make good illustrations. Well, that would be um, if he was going off of those notes that I made, uh, then I did. You know, Dave Sutherland was the, the ultimate authority there, but uh, it might have been. I, I don't know. Uh, I remember seeing him draw um, uh, that particular illustration, uh, which he was working on at, at about the time I left. Um, yeah, I, I'm certain he took part of it is, is when you get to illustrate a module, you next in line takes whatever the, the best illustration is like, oh, I'm next, I'm going to grab this one here. And then you cross it off so that no one else starts drawing that, that same thing. So he probably got in early enough to say, okay, that's, 
that's the uh, the best thing worth drawing here. I'll uh, I'll grab that one. It's like it's like uh, splitting up magic items. You had like the first person gets pick, and then yeah, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, nice. Is that how it happens? So people, what I was going to ask about how assignments were doled out. So you could you you had some role in in grabbing the artwork that you wanted to do. The interior stuff, yeah. You whatever was left, you you got your pick of in whatever order you you came to. You know, I finished this. It's time for a new one. I'll go grab the next most interesting thing. Uh, the exception being the the front piece, the the first interior illustration is an assigned piece, and also the front and back covers are assigned. <laughs> you remember how you were assigned? So you you did the cover artwork for against the giants, right? It was monochrome at first, and right, and then it's put together, and it's the color cover. Do you remember how uh, how you got that one? Uh, I know that I was uh, probably campaigning to you know put me in, coach. Let me do a, a color piece. It was probably that. I I don't recall exactly. <laughs> And so what has so you mentioned that you left in eighty one and I saw some yeah. so some of the info I saw online suggested that um, there was this great purge. Now I know they're not talking about the purge of like eighty four or whatever, but that there was maybe a purge within the art department and that people were let go for quote having bad attitudes. And then but I also saw online where you'd mentioned you'd quit. And 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 I know in Art and Arcana, it talks about kind of like this change in the art department that when you were there, it was kind of like, you know, younger people, you it sounded a bit roguish. And then after you guys left and eighty one forward, it got much more business like. Is that is that fair to say? Well yeah. Uh, TSR was a relatively new publishing company, and you kind of learn as you go along. That applies to everyone doing specific jobs and also the, the company itself. They learn how to be a real business as opposed to you know, a, a cranky uh, business that, that operates by whim. Um, and that's a process. You know, you, as, as the, the needle moves, you get a little more business-like. Uh, so I assume that was the process as well. The mini-purge that happened when I left was, um, remember the guy, that uh, his name I can't remember, uh, who killed the idea of doing comics? Yeah. Well, he was the same guy that, that uh, either came up with or was the guy who instituted this program where – he wanted everyone in the creative part of TSR, which was all, all of us down, down uh, above the hobby shop, um, to be happy in our job. So he showed up with this kind of survey form and said, every one of you describe your job and describe the job you, you wish you were doing as opposed to, you know, what you like, what's your job now? How could this be a better job? What kind of responsibility should you have? And we all filled those out. Now, I think that was as a result of the um, stockholders meeting that had just occurred a little bit before that, where uh, TSR had a program where any employee could uh, buy up to five shares of, of TSR stock at a discount. Uh, so we all became shareholders in the company, and we all attended this uh, this one stockholders meeting uh, all excited, like we're gonna, you know, vote and decide the direction of the company. But of course, what a lot of 
people in the uh, creative side of things didn't understand is that, you know, you vote your stock. If you have five shares, you have five votes as opposed to the guy who has 50 million shares. He has 50 million votes. Um, so this unruly mob uh, of, of us creative types uh, kept asking really stupid questions. Um, I... I don't think I was among them in the sense that I was saying to myself, these are really stupid questions and you're getting yourself in trouble. Uh, like we would vote on something and uh, uh, this guy Paul would say, well, what? Okay, that's that just carried in your favor, but but can we have the uh, the tally of people who voted? Like like who won hmm. in, the, in the matter of the people who voted? And they'd say like, well, that doesn't really matter. Well, it matters to me. Can we just have someone tally up the number of people who voted one way as opposed to another? Um, and they were getting really, really annoyed. I think this survey came as a result of that. that they were saying, these pissy little shit, why, why are they interrupting our important business? Uh, so everyone filled out their, the survey of what their uh, dream job at TSR would be. Um, and then that same guy used the responses to that. It was not anonymous. Re used the responses as a basis. Okay, this guy's a rebel. Right. Fire him. This guy's a rebel. Fire him. And so there was that that uh, uh, mini purge. It, it was actually just two of the editorial department: uh, Paul, who I mentioned, and uh, uh, Evan, I think. And they got fired based on the things they wrote in that survey and uh um i was a little pissed jeff was a little pissed at uh the fact of how callously these guys were treated um so i uh handed in my two weeks notice uh said look if you're getting going after them for their opinion it's only a matter of time before you get to me mm. so here's my two weeks notice um and they said, okay, we don't want anyone here for two weeks that doesn't want to be here, so we'll give you two weeks severance and, and say bye-bye now. Uh, that's how that happened. There was a, um, the 84 purge, which I only heard about from the outside, was a much more, more substantial house cleaning. Uh, and then there's been series of them ever since. When, when Gygax was driven out of the business there was a purge of all of his people. When the blooms were driven out, there was a purge of all their people. And and that took a matter of years because they were still finding hidden blooms in little corners of the business uh, because not all of them had the last name of Bloom. Um, so there were big factions that were at war with each other and, and uh, various house cleanings uh, based on, uh, you know, the stuff you see in shows where, That's right. you know, Businesses are are going against their enemies inside and all that. And and thank you for uh, for uh, uh, giving us that backstory. Yeah, what about Gary? So any interactions that you can tell us about with Gary? We always love, of course, hearing uh, about Gary. You've told us about that first meeting you had, the half an hour meeting. Right. Uh, was he in the same building? So was he like up on the third floor? Uh, James is saying no. No, he was the he was up at the uh, the main office by that time. Uh, TSR at that time was divided between the warehouse, which was the warehouse, with offices attached where all the business people did business stuff. That was at one end of town. At the other end of town, downtown, 
was the old dungeon hobby shop and the two floors above it. And that was all the creative stuff. Uh, that was editorial and, and uh, uh, writing development, uh, art, um, anything that actually decided what physically was going into what was being printed uh, happened uh, above the hobby shop. Uh, and then it went over to the main offices where they did the, you know, uh, preparing it for print and, and publication and marketing and ads and all that stuff. So uh, you're a, Gary you're was yeah, over there. Yeah. yeah so so you, did you get to interact with him at all? Uh, uh, a couple of times, you know, every one of us had to work at uh, Gen Con, and so there was some of that. But uh, formally, just that one meeting, then the the subsequent meeting where we pitched the comics that didn't didn't go. Hmm. A lot of the people were kind of dicks when they were at TSR, but became very nice after the fact, and uh, Gary included. Um, I had most of my interactions with Gary after he was uh, tossed out of TSR. Many more, much more often. Uh, yeah, more often after he'd left TSR than when he was there. Um, I was back in Lake Geneva in a studio with Keith Parkinson and Larry Elmore. Art Dog Studio became the unofficial meeting place of TSR people clandestinely meeting with many times to make weird meetings with people and uh, uh, got to know them then. Um, the the old cranky Gary was replaced by a really nice, uh, uh, had a brand new kid, I think that was Luke as a baby, a uh, very nice, fun guy to hang out with. Nice. Besides Boot Hill, did you work on some other things? Uh, some other stuff besides Boot Hill. Boot Hill, uh, as a painting, uh, uh, I was I did it twice. I uh, painted a cover for Boot Hill, um, the front office to be approved, and it was approved condition on losing one of the characters in the painting. Um, Just paint them out. So I, the Boot Hill that got published has has painted out. Let's get to, let's just get to some questions. So. You obviously the the bulk of your career has been comics from you know from uh, I, actually my cousin is big in the comics he knows you from your fables series fables and and you did some artwork for video games um, how, how did you go from you know obviously comics was your first love how did you get into video games like Master of Orion I played that game and I didn't realize you contributed artwork for that I shared a studio in Philadelphia with uh, Matt Wagner who. Uh, draws and writes the comic Mage and Grendel, a few other people. Uh, Janet Jackson, the colorist, but not Janet Jackson, the, the sister of uh, Michael Jackson. Um, uh, although our Janet had wardrobe slips every once in a while, too, uh, coincidentally. Um, but in addition to our comics work, we would just uh, uh, take on uh, other illustrating jobs and... Uh, uh, the Mass of the Orion thing, I think that just came in through someone who knew someone who knew someone or whatever and said, do you want to do this? And like, yeah, sure. Uh, a lot of this stuff isn't exciting. Well, I think, you know, for your fa you know, people who get invested in the game, then they just, it's kind of like D&D. &D. We love the game, and then we try to understand the game from the people who contributed. And while it may have been a job for folks, it, it takes a different air for the people who become invested in whether it's the books you write or or that so and and um 
as far as you're also a novelist now, is that correct? Or have been a novelist? Oh yeah. Let's, let's talk about that for a second. Uh, uh, yeah, I've written a few novels, uh, some of which were published. Um, uh, Peter and Max, the fables novel, which, uh, Vertigo published, uh, down the Misterly river, which was my children's novel. I didn't know it was a children's novel when I, but I have two that, that I self published, uh, because, uh, while I was doing fables, all the, uh, prose publishers in the world wanted me to do a book for them. And when fables, fables ended, they're interested too. Um, and, and now I can't get my calls returned mm. from those very lovely people. Uh, so, uh, well, a lot of them said, yeah, we could, we could be interested in this, but you got to change the main character to a female. You got to not have him have an affair in the middle, et cetera, et cetera. And I just like, yeah, no, thanks. So anyway, those are that, that up on the screen. There's uh, Hammer of the Gods, which was is a uh, urban fantasy, a modern fantasy where a a mercenary ends up with Thor's hammer and has to figure out what to do with it when every single person in the world wants it and thinks that they should have it more than this guy. <laughs> um, um, just another ranker is a uh, fellow from our world goes to a fantasy world full of elves and giants and dragons and such. Uh, but not in the typical way. Uh, he doesn't actually take up the sword. He takes up the rifle. He joins a mercenary uh, rifle company in a fantasy world. Um, and he's just, you know, he, and he ends up just a, another guy in the company uh, being shouted at by sergeants. <laughs> it, it draws probably a little bit on, on my uh, illustrious army career. Right. Yeah. Uh, those are available now in print or uh, digitally through Amazon. Uh, um, so buy them. You will love them. Um, and if you don't, the guarantee of this show, the Grog Talk guarantee, is that if you don't <laughs> love them, then each of our hosts will eat oh, them. See, I'm so glad he broke up just when he said what yeah, we were going to eat. Yeah, buy them. Get them. Yeah, so. <laughs> oh, did I break up? Just when you said what we were going to eat. So well, now, it, now it, people can it allows, it, out. it allows our viewers to fill in the blank right. with their own imagination. Yeah, they'll they'll be. Like, and we'll eat a bug on air. All right. <laughs> okay. There we go. <laughs> a spider, spider climb. So Amazon is is okay. People buying it because you know some artists, some authors, they get more money through other deals. But Amazon yeah, is yeah. okay. Okay. Yeah. I, oddly enough, the the what gives me the more, most money at any given time is not my first consideration in stuff like this. I you know, I want readers. Um, Wealth is good, but readers. I want readers. Excellent. Well, very good. Um, and that kind of blends into – so from Reddit, we got questions. So, Bill, when you're plotting a story arc for a comic book, how detailed do you get it before you start drawing it? Do you figure out the story first, I guess is the question, then you start drawing, or do you just do enough to start drawing? Uh, it depends based on the project. Uh, in most cases, if I'm writing for myself, uh, I will write it first. Uh, in some cases, when the plot revolves around a certain scene or an image I have in my mind, I will draw that scene and then and then uh, worry about uh, the story. Um, most projects are a bit of one and a bit of the other uh, and mix until it tastes good. Okay. And, and, and that's always hard when you're to kind of come up with... You know, what's the cookie cutter of this? And it's really not a cookie cutter. It depends on what you're doing. The, the next question he had was, 
um, can people buy your original artwork if you sell it directly to people? Do you have a yes an, um, an Etsy kind of thing? I hate to say that you're like no idiot. We don't we don't use Etsy. For no, this I thing. have I have my own art store with a weird um, address. It is uh, the address is uh, it's it's called the number one happy time science camp. So it's N O uh, H T S camp. You spell camp all over dot uh, square dot net. I think I I don't know. So, so you're, you know you're not trying to. This say is something I should know. <laughs> Look, if you if you follow me on Twitter, right? In my in my front bio information is the link to my uh, art store. Okay, and that's. That stuff is available. Anything that's in there is available. Um, we're adding new stuff all the time. Uh, so uh, if I if I have it for sale, it will be there. And, and we'll put and we'll put a link. I'll grab that from your Twitter and I'll put it into. The I show appreciate it. No problem. And that's kind of a running joke with us. If we really wanted to sell things, some of the nonsense we come up with it's 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 almost what you do to not sell stuff. So I, that's you like say you want to be true to yourself. That's awesome. Yeah, but link and we'll put in the show notes uh, for folks so they if they're not Twitter people, uh, they can do that. Um, were you self-taught or did you have training? Shannon from one of our friends online asked. Uh, a little, mostly self-taught. Um, I did during my college years take life drawing classes. Um, uh, which which I absolutely loved. Uh, as a matter of fact, any any long span of time where I don't get to do any life drawing makes me feel that my art goes to hell. Mm. Um, so I did that, and once again, the caliber of instruction was not great. But you had uh, nude models, and you had to sit and draw and draw and draw and draw, and and you learn drawing by drawing. So mostly self taught. Okay. Um, the other question, uh, we got a question from Leroy, who actually was the one who, uh, connected us. So thank you, Leroy, on on Twitter. Have you ever considered taking your old work and redrawing it like Jeff D did a few years ago? I've considered it. Um, uh, I found out that Jeff D was doing that a little while ago and I've considered doing that. The problem is, is finding the time to do the, the, the time in my schedule. Uh, I'm actually pretty busy. I have quite a few projects in motion, none of which I can talk about. Uh, I apologize for that. Uh, but there will be some things coming out from various publishers. Um, when I clear my decks enough to uh, to consider adding a new thing to the mix of stuff I have to do, uh, I will... Uh, seriously consider that. I think it was a fun project that Jeff did. Uh, it was actually several projects. He did several different portfolios of that. Um, Jeff was more prolific than I was in the TSR days, so I'm not sure I have as much. Uh, and uh, uh, yeah, I might. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, in the meantime, uh, the the stuff I'm I'm best known for for reasons beyond my understanding is the uh, I think I was the first TSR guy to do a drow. Um, drows came up as a as a monster or character class or whatever just just at that time, and I did the first one, and uh, people kind of liked it. 
Oh, yeah. uh, I found out that, that there was a, a drow fan club in uh, um, Georgia, in Atlanta, um, that I was the, the uh, uh, official or symbolic president of because of my drunk. Um, I never talked to him, never met him. But yeah, one of my projects involves, you can see it on the screen, so, some drow involved in some stuff, which you uh, can see it's in progress. Yeah, I'm sure, I can I'm do, sure I both can, the pictures. Thank you for sharing yeah. this. This is awesome. We're, we're, I'm, our fans I think I can this. draw them a little better now. Than, uh, so maybe that scratches uh, the itch, uh, Leroy, of would you redo this, the old stuff now? And it's like, in a sense, I am in the, in the sense that I'm revisiting some of the old stuff, um, including Drow. Uh, one of the things I was going to do was finally finish up those TSR ads storylines by just finishing the story and the current tsr would not give me permission to do that they wanted me to sign all overall rights and yeah. take take no money and, and all sorts of stuff and i said well no i'll just do it myself anyway you, you know different characters you don't you don't own heroic fantasy um so yeah here we have a couple of drow charging into an onslaught of arrows etc but uh yeah so to a little extent i am doing that now um revisiting old things by doing a uh, a fantasy comic story that uh, that has hopefully the the essence of those old tsr adventure ads in them and 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 do, you know you mentioned jeff do you, do you keep in touch is there like a when you said you know short when you left Immediately and a few years after, obviously there was the ex expats who commiserated at your at the studio. But do you all keep in contact? I know like Gary Khan's happening next week. Do you go to cons? Do you is that part of your routine as well? Well, I did go to Gary Khan because I can drive. To, I stopped flying because I don't like it. Um, uh, I have been going to Gary Khan's not recently though because of the big death plague. Yeah. And, uh, you know, things come uh, oddly enough, Gary Khan, I keep remember, uh, keep forgetting when it happens every year so that I always sign up for it late. Uh, um, and also when I can, you know, sometimes I can't attend because it happens right when everything else is happening in my career or responsibilities. So the answer is yes. I go to Gary Khan. Last time I was there, I did, uh, reconnect with, uh, with Jeff D and uh, uh, Jack Herman, Jeff D's partner in V and B. Um, the last time I went to Gen Con, uh, I reconnected with Dave LaForce. The so uh, some of the others, uh, I you know, we drop in and out of each other's lives from time to time. And it was and it, to your point, it was one year of your life, plus or minus, you know, a year you it was important. Yeah. And then there was a couple of years and then you've had this incredible career post that. Um, and and so, you know, it's like a lot of things. Uh, I, I, I would assume like musicians who they're known in a lot of ways for their earliest work, which may not be their best work, because, you, as you said, you, you evolve as an artist. Do you feel that way or? You know, again, going back to that discussion of you were learning, you did some things. It's very iconic because of the the associations, but then you continued and your work got better and better. 
but it's maybe not as known to certain folks. What's, you know, is, does that make any sense what I was saying? Uh, is, is that a challenge that you have? Sure. And, and you know, every, every single time one sets out to do an illustration or a comic book or a prose story, it's a challenge to tell a good story. That's always, always the, the ultimate uh, task ahead of you. Tell, first, tell a good story. Um, you know, uh, some of those guys, I get nostalgic. I've forgiven myself for the quality of my artwork back in the TSR days. I know it doesn't sound like that at, on this show, but but I, I do. I, I look back and I, I think, okay, this was the best you could do at the time, so not bad. Um, and the, the, the people that I associated with back then, every once in a while you get that nostalgic feeling and, and uh, uh, you want to... You want to briefly get back together with Art Garfunkel and do something new just to see if uh, the magic is still there. Um, uh, yeah. I, did I answer your question? Yeah, I think I you did. I have no idea. Well, I think okay. it's, it, it's, you know, for someone, you know, I've not had a creative work that thousands or millions of people have said, wow, this defines... You know, look at Dan and I. We didn't play for a number of years. Now we're middle, you know, fifty-year-old men, going back to a game, and we're finding there's lots of people like us who didn't play for a long time. And yes, there's nostalgia, but it's. I think we gave up that thinking. You know, put away childish things, but actually, that was part of our life that not only was good then, but it's good now, and we want to carry that forward. Um, and so your artwork, like. Gary's books and other people's stories, they represent, you know, the genesis of this, this hobby that so many find pleasure and good values. And it's, was the genesis of the video game explosion, the comp, you know, Avengers, how many of the Avenger movies are now the number one things when, you know, comic book movies weren't that, you know, Superman was good. The rest of them were kind of for a long time, you couldn't make one, so you 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 and your ilk have transformed culture, um, and and so you know that's that Be, that it's amazing because all of our people have grown up and and uh, taken over the industries uh, where that kind of stuff is done now. Yeah, uh, every single person who does a Superman movie or Marvel movie or 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 anything. Uh, was in some D and D group at some point in their childhood, uh, and uh, uh, now they get to you know bring that back. The the new renaissance and the return of uh, tabletop RPGs and uh, things like that is, I think, solely due to the fact that every one of us got to the point where uh, someone said you spend the second half of your life getting over your first the first half of your life, mm. and I think that's what we're doing. Look. Looking back at that, when we put away childish things and said, you know, were they that childish compared to other stuff? And uh, and did we really need to put them away? Uh, maybe we uh, missed a bet there. Let's let's get them out and dust them off and see if there's there's any life there still in it. And it turns out there is. Uh, um, I know a lot of people that that uh, stopped uh, playing role playing games for years at a time. You know, work and and family and stuff gets in the way. And then they find out that, you know, it's worth making time to, to get again. So do you still play D&D? And if so, which edition? I play my edition of D&D. 
which was which better, is, better magic system. The rules, <laughs> the rules we came up with in the army. Uh, I have a, uh, a Sunday recurring game. We're called the Tired Old Men of Gaming, uh, and it's just uh, a bunch of people I've you know known for years or met along the way. Um, uh, Jack Herman from the the Villains and Vigilantes is part of it. Uh, um, Bill Williams, who writes, um, oh, see, I just I just spaced the the, the Antarctic comic uh, that Marvel just ripped off the the name for, and you know threatened them, go ahead, sue us. Um, see, now I, I'm I apologize, Bill. I've just I just read an issue of it. If mm. I could, if I could find it, I could. But punchline. Punchline. Okay. Punchline from Antarctic Press. He. Um, uh, anyway. Um, yeah, some friends of mine. We get together. Uh, we do it online now because of the death plague. Right. Uh, and I run a game, and uh, um, you know, uh, once again, I'm doing some preparation, and. Uh, a little preparation and a lot of seat of pants DMing, which I think is the best. Um, Agreed. If if you're agile enough to deal with ever changing situations. So is it is it loosely based on OD? I mean, it, so is there a basic set of rules that you're using, or is it really just sort of free flowing? So if I want to cast a spell or whatever, I mean, what what's the source material I use? Uh, the source material is the spell list that I've created. Uh, the magic system I've created, the uh, oh, I redid the armor system of D and D, which is ridiculously you're, stupid. You're like you're like Len Lakafka. <laughs> yeah, except, <laughs> yeah, except for you know my uh, my house isn't falling over. Um, yes, uh, everything. Anyone who has reached our age, although at in your fifties, you guys are still kids. Yeah. Um, Probably snotty kids at, at that, but anyway, absolutely. Uh, get off my lawn. Exactly. Um, anyone who's reached our age who is still using a game system, as opposed to here's what I've learned along the way, and and by price, process of of tweaking and elimination and improvement, you know, you have everyone should have their own game system, and that's what I do. I call it D and D because you know it started there, and I will still go to the monster manual from time to time and uh remember some good old-fashioned uh, uh grotesquerie that uh, that they haven't run into for a while uh but i redo things uh, my own way a uh, better magic system better system of deciding when you get to throw a spell um uh and yeah armor that actually acts as armor uh you know for the, anyway it's it's all better um um, you know, maybe I'll maybe publish it someday, although that gets added to my list of things I might do someday when there's time. Well, that's, I think Ed, we had Ed Greener on the show and he said he doesn't play in it. We asked him what edition. He's like, I don't play an edition. I just play. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, yeah, yeah. He, he came on. So basically Bill's just said, I know your thing is fixated in one E. We've heard your questions. You right. literally want to know, you know, how many angels right. are on a pin. And he's basically said, right. You guys are cretins. You guys are too young. 
snotty kids. Snotty kids. Ten years from now, we'll look right. back on this and we'll be like, like what was what wrong were, What with are we that? doing? That's right. We're a bunch of morons. Which is funny because an hour before he came on, you were yelling at the fifth editioners because they had all this nonsense. So it, Everyone's the, yelling at everybody. The cycle, <laughs> circle's complete. <laughs> Everyone's upset with somebody. <laughs> I went on that note. <laughs> I do. I do look forward to you know someday you're going to have on someone uh, that has actually played through the wheelchair accessible dungeon that they're coming out with now in the in the new woke D and D. I it it boggles me. It, it sort of boggles me that they could come up with something so ridiculous as a wheelchair accessible dungeon. Um, uh, I guess we. We left imagination behind in the uh, in the whole idea of of this game. Yeah. Um, that said, though, the tired old men don't know that someday coming up, uh, they are going to be in a wheelchair accessible thing. As soon as I create uh, a situation where you need to actually be in the chairs uh, for for this to work for you to survive, but uh, um, yeah, that kind of stuff. Um, uh, orcs that are no longer, you know, villainous because uh, does anyone understand that it is a made-up race? It's it's like they're imaginary, but apparently they're imaginarily um, uh, oppressed now. Uh, so that said, you know, the latest D and D, it's all done. It, it died a while ago, and. Uh, they're still playing dead horse trampoline on the bloated body, um, which can be fun for a while. Trust me, I've played dead horse trampoline. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, if, if you're playing with any experience, you're using your own stuff. And I will guarantee you, I, I saw a little earlier that you guys were, were playing, but I will guarantee you that there's stuff that you do that, uh, that is like, yeah, we do it this way because this way makes sense. Everyone should have yeah. house rules. Yeah. You're exactly Sorry right. for the rant. No, no, no. And it's interesting because that's the tension, right? Because and and Dan and I are in that. And we've talked to a number of people. You are older than us, obviously, and you came up more in the D do-it-yourself D and D, where the rules were very, you know, you like you said, you didn't even have all the rules, so you had two thirds of them. Pages were missing. Pages were missing. Things were. Yeah, I grew up. Pages were missing. Right. We had to fill it in. And then we get, because of our age, 1980, 79, 81, 82, it's starting to get codified. Whether it was complete is another story, but it was codified. You know, Gary made a big attempt with AD&D to kind of say, this is how it's going to be, at least, you know, when you read his books. Now, whether he did it or not. We got angry, Gary. See, see Bill has the 79 where... It says at the back or whatever, everything in here is guidelines. And then Gary and Dragon Magazine is like, if you're not playing by the rules, you're not playing AD&D, you're playing something. So we got angry, Gary. And, and so we have that yeah. schism where – but now the future is it's gone so far off it where either there's so many rules or do whatever you want. It's storytelling, and it has to be a certain way um, that – you know, we're, 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 you know, we're, we're all anachronisms in our, in our own way, but I think there is that spirit that people are still wanting to have, which is it's a game. It's, it's not story time. There should be rules. You all could, now they can be built for your table and that certain, certain of these tropes are good because I didn't want to play a short, fat 
kid from Queens. That's I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to resemble that in my game playing. I don't need to identify with that. You know, I want to be a powerful wizard or a powerful that. And 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 that's the part I don't understand with some of this is you don't want to preclude people, but I don't want to I don't want to live real life. That's why some of the role playing games that, you know, you emulate living your life. Who wants to do that? That's horrific. Sim life never made any sense to me. I don't want to play a fake real life. I've got a real life that's terrible. So I I do have a question about this wheelchair accessible dungeon if it ever comes out. What happens if uh, players that aren't wheelchair bound play that? Are they are they oppressing people by by sort of co-opting uh, the the wheelchair requirement? Well, I would hope the DM would this? would limit. They would only allow people with wheelchairs. So that would go back to our race and class. You could only be someone who does that. That would this way there wouldn't be that issue. But that means you can only yeah. be a gnome. Right. James. That's right. You can only be a gnome. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get out. I think we're coming to that, and uh, uh, the 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 limits of your imagination are not the limits you're playing with anymore. The limits are is like what groups you can claim to right. to be part of. Um, how many of those things are they going to sell? If if it's only to how many all wheelchair gaming groups exist uh my suspicion would be none right but i'm i'm willing to be uh schooled well uh, well, otherwise. well bill i know and we're way over and i really appreciate your time but since you brought it up and since you were sort of on a rant uh as a creative person you know do you feel that constraint when you're writing stories that you have to stay in your lane quote unquote or you know, have you started? Feeling- no, none whatsoever. Okay. Uh, when I when I get uh, outside people, you know, uh, suggesting that well, this character needs to be changed, or this you know character's attitude needs to be. Uh, often I laugh. Always I ignore them. Um, uh, someone said that. Uh, they were talking about a, a magazine production that a magazine can only survive the mistakes of one person, uh, and I think that's true with stories too. Stories can only survive the mistakes of one person. Uh, letting other people come in and fiddle with with your story and add their worldviews and mistakes and uh, and insistence um, is is a story killer. Uh, there's a there's a wonderful anecdote. I think it's Pierce Anthony, but don't. Hold me to this: that in one of his books, he got a, a new editor that was uh, 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 rapidly anti uh, against horses being used as as beasts of burden. Mm. That, the, that it's wrong, wrong to do that. And so she edited it was a it was a medieval fantasy, but she edited horses entirely out of it. Uh, so there would be passages of. of you know, the wagon is going down the road, but no indication of how the wagon is getting down the road because the horses haven't taken up. Um, uh, knights would travel from point A to point B and, and no indication of how they got there because they can't have gotten there by horse. And it's just hilarious. He used to do dramatic readings of this edited version of his of his story uh, and bring the house down. And, and that's how silly it is. Like when you let someone else come in and, and uh, you know, impose their various worldviews and mistakes on your stuff. Um, 
you're just making a mess. Yeah. So the answer to your question is, I don't mean to sound heroic doing this, but no, I, I just, every story I've ever written has been a story I've wanted to write uh, with myself as the, as the uh, audience template. Uh, the fact that some of them, uh, in fact, most of them have found a readership or an audience outside of that uh, is, uh, my, my gratitude for that is vast. Uh, but no, I, I write stories for my own taste. Awesome. Well, and you know, it's probably unlikely you're going to run into too many of the Equitine liberation movement, uh, uh, participants if you, if you did go down that route, but do you think for comic aspiring comic writers, storytellers, is this a challenging time for them? Do you really, I mean, you, you basically, if you, if you were a young build in your twenties, would you, do you think you still could hold that attitude that you have today or would that be difficult based on who you've talked to? Well, let me answer it this way. If I wanted to really cash in on the, the storytelling universe as it's, as it's currently embodied, uh, I would form uh, a company of um, sensitivity readers. Now, the purpose, is, as people might know, of sensitivity readers is I've written a story, now I give it to a, a sensitivity reader, either a friend or a professional, to see all the the problems that are inherent in my story as far as this group and that group and and are you are you uh, culturally oppressing right. this or have you have you stolen this cultural artifact all this kind of stuff and they they go through and, and do this and and the purpose of my company uh, in addition to soak idiots out of their money for for letting a sensitivity reader anywhere near their story uh, so you got the money but also if they're the kind of uh, feeble idiot that is going to allow someone to say, oh, you can't talk about this group or you can't make this character, you know, this race, whatever. Uh, and, and so many people actually withdraw their books based on these kinds of things yeah. at real publishers. Um, so, yeah, my real purpose, my real insidious purpose was to – uh, find problems with every idiot's book so that they willingly withdraw them from publication, uh, which removes all of that crap from the story sphere, uh, leaving only only the stories of people that would that would uh, have uh, enough backbone. Sensitivity readers, are you kidding? Get get the hell out of my office! I, I've got stories to tell. So that's what I would do now. Now, if I wanted to cash in and I was young and yeah. and uh, I'll get a story out of that idea at some point. But yeah, we'll see. Tongue, uh, you know, Sarka. Did you did you follow a little bit of the Hickman Weiss lawsuit, Dragon Lance, and the alleged reason why they canceled it and the challenges? Were you aware of that story? Did you hear about that? A little bit. Uh, I've known uh, uh, Hickman and Weiss for for some time as friends. Yeah. Um, uh, I I think if you anyone as I said TSR is even no matter where it's gone it's built on an old Indian burial ground and it's cursed. <laughs> uh, they went back into the 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 uh, abyss of TSR to to do this again and uh, and of course they were going to get screwed uh, because that's what they do. Um, 
they are just a, a hungry, everything belongs to me monster, and that will never change. Um, you know, uh, so tell us how you really resolved. feel, Bill. Well, don't don't hold back. Well, I'm just <laughs> I'm just telling you. Yeah, uh, right, right. Once Gary had left TSR and started hanging out at the studio, he he turned into the most delightful, gregarious human being, um, which was very much not like him during the TSR years. So that's all I'm saying right. is is there's there's a curse that uh, you know if if you deal with TSR, you're going to get it. You're, you're, you're going to walk into the dragon's mouth and get eaten. Well, very good. A, a couple more. I know we are done. So um, the primary way, if people want to hear what you're doing, is Twitter, correct? That's, that is your... Uh, as far as social thing, yeah. I used to be on Facebook, but uh, they're weird Facebook... Oh, look, there's a cattail. The, the weird Facebook rules and that, you know... We we own everything you think or do. Uh, drove me away, which is too bad because that's how I kept it with most of the old TSR guard. Um, so Twitter, uh, but don't expect don't expect rants or or real, real world issues. I tell dad jokes yeah. and I uh, and I uh, put up artwork from time to time. Um, uh, that's about it. Um, if you you know, want to get in touch with me for something uh, more substantial than that? Uh, try it out. Try try contacting me on Twitter. But chances are, you know, uh, I'm not. I don't have time uh, for more substantial stuff right you, now. But you're very gracious. That sounds defeated. No, no, I think you're very am, gracious. So thank you for that. I am very gracious. Uh, you know, I've been here for. Oh, two hours and you haven't pinned a medal on me yet. What the hell? No, that's right. Um, that's exactly. Well, and then the second thing is, we, you know, we have a very humble uh, uh, periodical, flipping and turning. It's a fanzine that we that our yeah. listeners and and so maybe in the future, if if there was an opportunity for us, uh, you know, we have uh, we have subsequent ep- episodes coming out. If it was possible that we could get you to either put some artwork or maybe a comic panel that we would uh, sponsor you for, uh, we're going to put you on the edge. If, if that's something we could do to put in our illustrious magazine, would that be, you know, we're putting you on the air, would that be something you could be possibly interested in if we gave you, you know, like three years notice on that? Would that be something you'd be interested in doing? Like artwork i decide to to do or Correct. Artwork Absolutely. You it's totally assign. totally with your light you could put whatever you want short wait, of wait, anything whoa, that's whoa, whoa no 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 i want it's got to be a comic strip of of lightning sword girl what ha- what what happened before and after this fo- this drawing i thought we talked about this james what uh, are you doing What's wrong with you? I was hoping to get something as opposed to him hanging up but apparently yeah, okay no you're right we'll go with your ver- okay what james said yeah. So, um, yes, as long as it's not a, a gnome mounting a, a badger, apparently that's the line we don't yeah, allow. I said no to that. We said no to that. Um, but anything short of that, uh, you know, whether you want to do a comic panel um, or something, artwork that you wanted to throw up in our, our magazine, we would, we, we would be honored to have that. Uh, we have Lou, we've have Lou Pulsifer who's put some things in here. It's just, you know, we, we're, we'd be thrilled to death. So uh, Sure. I'll, I'll make a deal. I'll make a deal right now. Uh, send me copies of the book uh, for me to read, and, 
and uh, and uh, I will do do you something for the next one. Done. That How is, often does it come up? It's every three months, so plenty yeah. of time. Okay. I will send. Send me what you got. Okay. I'll do something for the. Sounds good. So I'll I'll DM you if you DM me your address. We'll we will send you all th- yeah. three copies that we have. We'd be did happy. Did you to do uh, did you talk to FD into uh, into this or, or have you had him yet? No, we'd love to have him on. He he's not been snickered. So if you uh, see him, because I'm not a Facebooker like you, I try to avoid that that cesspool. And and Dan yeah. quit. Dan quit as well. He's he used to be our Facebook person, and everyone's like, "What's going on with GrogCon, the convention?" I'm like. We don't we don't use Facebook. I know millions of people do apparently, but we don't advertise. We don't advertise like your website. You can't pronounce. You don't remember. We don't advertise for our own convention. So you know we're we're kindred spirits on what we why we do certain things. So yes, well, there you, you could, go. It's more exclusive that way. Right. Right. We yeah we the oi polloi are not allowed. Um, so if you could uh, refer to us to Jeff D that or tell us how we'd be happy to get him on. That would be that would be incredible. But we would love to send you these copies. I will get our editor. I, I, I will. I will pass an invitation. Well, that would be right. that would be wonderful. So um, again, our we, everyone's been very thankful for your time. Uh, uh, oh, there's a recently. There's. Do you know that there is a Facebook uh, Willingham fan page? It's it's about a month old. It's quite I just, I just read this. Uh, no, I was not aware of it. Uh, um, yeah, uh, and I guess I'll I'll remain in the dark since uh, you know I don't uh, I don't do Facebook. So would, could you like us to send a cease and desist letter to them? Right. We, Bill? Can. we can do that. Yeah. Why? No, I don't. Dan has a certain skill, <laughs> certain certain type of skills. Uh, you know, he's like Liam Neeson. He has certain skills, and and threatening legal action is <laughs> one of them. <laughs> <laughs> threat, threat is such a negative, has such a negative connotation. Dan, govern yourself accordingly, Gormansky. That's what Gormansky. I'm going to start calling you. Well, um, so again, Bill, thank you for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. And you, uh, um, if there's any, you know, thing that you're bringing up, you'll send me the show links, uh, the links that you want. Uh, I'll, I'll put the Amazon link on there. I'll put your website on there, your Twitter. Um, and I, I know you, you don't, you know, hopefully, like you said, the death plague is kind of moving off. But if you find yourself in October in the Orlando area, um, we would love to host you at the convention that we are hosting. It's called GrogCon, but we've decided just to call it the convention we are hosting, uh, which will be in October. So we'll send you that information. And if you're so inclined and would like to come and be our guest, we would, we would make accommodations for you as well. We would love to have you. Um, that's that's nice of you to offer, but uh, uh, most of my traveling days are behind me. Uh, well, maybe, maybe we'll see you in GaryCon then, because that's that's something you would go up. That's you you say GaryCon's close enough to drive to in a day, and that's that seems to be my uh, that you template for what's what's worth going to. Understood. But, uh, yeah. Well, we're, we're planning, you know, assuming, like you said, that's not a new variant death plague that happens. We'll, we, we intend to be up there next year, so we'll, hopefully we'll run into you. So uh, we, have one oh, fi- we have one final thing. Do you have a D10 yeah. close by? Do I have a D10 close by? Yes. Uh, if, hold on a second. Yep. Um, it's three feet across the room. So. That, no problem. I just love... Here go the- 
I'm always tickled how many of our guests right. have polyhedral dice nearby. He's got dice right, right near him. Or a cookbook. Or a cookbook, yeah. Or, or, or a book that he can just flip open. <laughs> really, we should force people to do that because that is truly flipping and turning. That's true. That's more flipping and turning than that. We didn't have dice when I grew up. <laughs> we had we chits. We had chits in a cookbook. <laughs> yeah, chits. I used a cookbook. That's right. <laughs> okay. So we, we, we ask our guests to roll a D10 to say how good the show is. One being it sucks and we wasted everyone's time. Ten being uh, an existen- you know, transcendental uh, experience. So whenever you are ready, sir, we will take your results on the honor system. Okay. Here's one of the problems mm. with D&D is they have 10 being a good roll and one being a bad roll. One should never be a bad roll. Uh, I have switched over to the V V system where one is a super success and 10 is bad. Okay. Why? Because, because you know, Vietnam era, you're number one, Charlie number 10. 10 is bad, one is good. No. But that's that not said, the rule. That's not that's, the rule. That's my rules. Um, <laughs> you got an A. Got eight? Let's go with the normal. Uh, yeah. yeah. Let's go with the normal. See, so uh, in typical fashion, we think it was great. You're like, I, why did I just spend two hours with you? So mm-hmm. uh, we, no, comparatively, this, no, this was good. That's right. That's right. Eight, so eight is there. So uh, again, th- everyone's saying thank you very much, Bill, for your time. It's been, it's been uh, great. Uh, so for on the behalf of Grog Talk, I'm James. And I'm Dan. And that's Bill. Thank you again, Bill. Uh, thank you. It's been my pleasure. And, and we will see you all next time on Grog Talk. Take care. This has been a Bushy Puppy production. All rights reserved.